chapter 2. We're just continuing on in our, our study here called Joy-Filled Living. And uh, if you haven't been with us, it's because the Apostle Paul, uh, some 19 times, uh, refers to the word joy or, or rejoice here in this short book. And he does it from a very interesting place, from prison. And he's still rejoicing. He's still full of joy. And so it's something that kind of gets all of our attention, you know, because uh, you ever heard that expression, um, who bumped your cup? You know, life is like a cup, right? And whatever's in your cup, when life bumps your cup, whatever's in it comes out of your cup. Have you ever had anything come out of your cup that you wish wasn't in your cup? You know, you go, I think all of us have. And so we go through things in life. And, and again, life doesn't make us in the true sense. What, might, what life does is it exposes us. And uh, so I think, you know, for all of us, when we study the Apostle Paul's life, it's, it's something that's intriguing to us because we look and we go, man, how does he remain joyful? Because I know when people get on my nerves, I know when people do whatever it is that they do, you go, man, my joy goes right out the window. So I think, you know, we all look at that and we go, you know, Lord, help me. And, and for me in particular, I, when I study the Bible, I look for patterns. I look for the one, two, three that I can pull from Scripture, you know, things that, you know, might not, God, I mean, I wish that he did, but he didn't necessarily do all passages like this where he put point number one, do this, step number two, do this. That would be really neat. But what does he want us to do? As Paul said, study the Bible, right, to show yourselves approved to God. So a lot of it sometimes just comes by just reading the Bible. Again, all of a sudden you just have the, your own little, you ever had an epiphany as you're reading the Bible? You go, oh. It's like your aha moment, you know, the light comes on and then you kind of feel silly because you're going, man, it was right there the whole time, but I just didn't catch it or I didn't see it. And so there's things that, this morning that I titled the message, Becoming a Better Friend. And I, I just want to ask you just by a show of hands, and maybe you're already there, but how many would say by a show of hands this morning, you could become a better friend than you are today, that there's some room for improvement there in your life? You'd say that, yeah, a few of you, some of you know. And I look out and I go, well, it might be true. Maybe you don't because you really are a really, really good friend. But let's read this together and uh, we'll pray. He, in Philippians chapter 2, we'll start in verse 19. We'll read through verse 24 and then take a moment here, like I said, and pray and ask the Lord to open our eyes and ears and help us to receive what he has for us today. And then to, for us to be um, open to that transformation. You know, we, we, as Larry mentioned again in worship that, you know, it's both God who, who, who wills, you know, in our life uh, to do for his good pleasure, to work and to will, and, uh, you know, that we would be open to that, because he's going to do something today while we're here. He's, he's going to prompt your heart. He's going to prompt your, your conscious, and, and, and there's things, whether it's some, with a person individually or with a group of people, or if it's just a change within your own heart, um, but let's be open uh, to what the Lord would have for us, because it's always uh, not only for God's glory, but it's always for our good too. Amen. Let's pray and as we read this. He says, but I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state, for all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus, but you know his proven character that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel, and therefore I hope to send him at once as soon as I see how it goes with me, but I trust in the Lord that I myself shall also come shortly. 
just a few passages, but I know the Lord has something for each of us today. Let's, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for worship and song. And now we just thank you for worship through your word. That, Lord, we hear from you and we can receive from you. And, Lord, may, again, for all of us, may we be able to say today, Lord, I want to leave this place different than how I came in. May you continue to help us to not conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And so, Lord, we give you our heart. We give you our mind today. And we ask you, Lord, to teach us, uh, to strengthen us, to encourage us, to grow us, Lord. That, uh, Lord, we could shine like lights in a dark place as, as we, we do see the world around us getting darker. But, Lord, thank you that we can shine bright for you. And we ask you today to help us, Lord. Help us to be all that, Lord, you have created us to be. And so, Lord, we submit to you. We surrender afresh to you. We ask you, Lord, have your way in each of our hearts as we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So I, I got a question for you right when we start off the bat. Uh, maybe if you're not awake yet, this will uh, get you. This will wake you up. Ask yourself this question. If everyone in the church was just like me, that would be you, what kind of church would my church be? Think about that for a second. If everyone in the church was just like me, what kind of church would my church be? And then you can add something to that. I always love this. Would you even attend it? If everybody in the church was just like you and you, and you went into a church full of you, would you even attend it? You know, because it kind of reminds me of that joke about the, the guy who was on the deserted island, right? And he gets picked up. I've shared it with you before, you know, that the captain of the ship goes, you know, you're the only guy on the island? He goes, yeah, I'm the only guy. And he goes, well, there's three huts over there, you know, on the island. And he goes, well, the one at the very far end, he goes, that, that, that was my house. That's where I lived. And he goes, the one in the middle, he goes, that was my church. And he goes, well, what's the one that's way far away from the middle one there? He goes, well, that's my other church. He goes, when I didn't like what that, they said there, I quit that one and I started, started another one. And I always love that, you know, as, 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 a, as a pastor, because you get that. And, but our greatest arguments in the truest sense, they're not with other people. They're with ourselves. You know, it's the, it's the man in the mirror, so to speak, you know. And the Apostle Paul, obviously, you know, as you study his works, he knew the value of, of friendship and who you could count on and, and how you determine who you can count on. You know, it's interesting, you know, um, in Paul's letters, you know, his last letter was Second Timothy. And he talks a lot about loyalty. It's the last point I'm going to make today. You know, so I'm going to give you, I put my notes five, but there's actually six, you know, kind of six steps, six things that I see here, you know, in, in Philippians chapter two on, on becoming a better friend. And he talks about loyalty and how, and, and here's the apostle Paul. He's going, man, you know, there's just not, I mean, this is back in Paul's day. He's going, there's just not very many people that are loyal, you know, and, and, and everybody blames everybody else, but loyalty is not everybody else. Loyalty is me. It's you. It, it's, it's personal. It has nothing to do with the other person. It has everything to do with you. And Paul is just, remember, he's talking about Demas and he's like, you know, he's done, you know, much harm. He's just, he's not been faithful. And because most people are just in it for themselves. They're, they're in, in life for themselves. It's always their filters about them. I mean, if they're sideways about something, it's because people aren't doing what they want them to do. They see all the wrong in the world, but basically, you know, you talk about narcissism. Um, I mean, 
it's, it's always everybody else. It's never, never them. And that's why Jesus said, you know, get the log out of your eye before you try to get the speck out of your brother's. Because we forget, you know, the Apostle Paul knew this. The Christian life, how many would agree, the Christian life is a war. Would you agree with that? It's a battle. It's a battle for me. It's a battle for you. And it's for keeps. You know, Jesus said it best in John 10.10, right? The thief comes to steal and to kill and destroy, but I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. And then Ephesians 6, he tells about, hey, every day, do what? Put on the full armor of God. Because if you don't, <laughs> you're, you're going you're, you're gonna to take a hit no matter what. But... It, it feels a lot better. I can tell you this, you know, from playing, you know, football, it, it felt a lot better having shoulder pads on and getting hit and having a helmet on than if you hit somebody without one. You ever watch those bloopers where a guy's running down the field in football and somebody face mask and rips his helmet off and then he hits another guy head to head and he does it, you know, he doesn't stop. He keeps going. It never hurts the guy with no helmet, with the guy that has a helmet on. He never gets hurt. It's always the guy that didn't have the helmet on. And it shows him walking off on the sideline and blood's just, you know, coming out. And people go, man, that guy was, you know, you go, but no, but it's still, it, it hurt. Uh, we're going to take shots no matter what. And so Paul recognizes this. He knows that, you know, having friends, and again, having friends that are there through the thick and the thin that, that's what will matter most in life. You know, there's an old saying that goes like this, show me your friends and I will show you your future. Or uh, I think there's another one that kind of goes like this. It's, um, uh, you are nothing more than the sum total of your five closest friends. So, you know, this, that would be talking about picking your friends, you know, carefully as well. Proverbs 13, 20 puts it like this. He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. And, and Paul knew this. I mean, and you think about, and I'll give you a little bit more detail about this, but when, you know, we see in Scripture that Timothy was a protege of Paul, the Apostle Paul. Um, wherever Paul went then in ministry, he, he, would, he would have Timothy with him. And when he couldn't be there, he sends Timothy in his place where Paul would plant the church and be the pastor uh, at Ephesus. Paul started, then Timothy came and, and was the next pastor there. I mean, you think those are big shoes to fill in one sense, but they weren't really in another sense. And, and we'll look at that um, because of the fact that Paul and Timothy were, they were really of one heart. They were really of, of one mind. It was a very, very special relationship we, we'll look at here. Proverbs 18, 24 says this, a man who has friends must himself be friendly, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. That's one of the great blessings of the body of Christ. I hear it all the time. The people in the church will go, you know what, you, I'm closer to you than I am to my own flesh and blood. And, and you go, well, that's because blood's thicker than water in the truest sense. And you go, We're, it's the blood of Christ that unites us. Amen. We are family. It is by blood in the, in the truest sense. Proverbs 17, 17 says, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. And, you know, again, these relationships are so, so important to us, especially when you think about this, a brother is born for adversity. You know, it's, it's, it's one thing, you know, it's like, uh, I have a, a younger brother and I can tease my brother. Okay. And, and, and he can tease me, but if you tease my brother, I might have a problem with you. And you go, and, and it, that's one of the things about a blood relationship, you know, that again, when people say that blood's thicker than water, you know, that family, you know, there's a, there should be something close about family. 
And unfortunately, because of the world we live in, and I, and I understand this, and I understand the hurt and the pain of that, we live in a broken world. I, I share that with you all the time. Divorce is so destructive because what does divorce do? It doesn't just end a marriage, it ends a family. And when I think about this in, in particular with regard to friendship, if I was to ask those of you that have suffered through divorce and you went on with your life and you can go, hey, maybe that was good for you, but I can tell you it wasn't necessarily good for your kids. It wasn't good now for your friends. And I don't want to focus on your friend or your kids or anything else or you. Just let me tell you about friendship again, because as a pastor, I mean, with, you know, decades of, of counseling now with people who've suffered all these things, they go, man, it just, this divorce just messed me up. And I'm like, well, how did it mess you up? And they go, our friends. And I'm thinking, well, you got, you had a wife or a husband or you got kids and that wasn't even the issue. They go, no, it's our friends. They go, we did, we, we divided everything. And guess what? We divided our friends. They go, my greatest pain was, I, these were my friends for decades. And they go, they're no longer my friends now because they had to make a choice in that. And, and again, these are the things why it's so important for us to, you know, consider these things and why family is so important to us. But to say that, you know, a friend loves at all times, but a brother is born for adversity. Now, interesting, the American Sociological Review tells us this. The average American has only two close friends. It reported that uh, just a decade ago, the you know, same survey was there was an average of six friends, six close friends. Now, let me throw this out to you. What do you think's changed in 10 years that took us from six to two? Two words, social media. Yeah, social media, no longer present, no longer face-to-face, -face, but using social media media. I shared this years ago, and this is why it rung a bell with me, Dr. James Dobson back in the 80s, the 1980s. He said, if you have one person in your life, one person who you feel completely safe with, that you can bear your heart and your soul, he said, you are a fortunate person because most people don't even have one person. And that was back in the 80s, so just a different thought. But from a, a clinical Christian psychologist who dealt, obviously, with you know, many uh, issues with uh, people and working through personal you know, problems in their life, he came to that conclusion and, and taught numerous studies on it himself. But Paul had friends with him. We, we make you know, this understanding through our study of Scripture. They stuck with him do, through the difficult times. And Timothy and, and Epaphroditus, they, they were two guys that really help Paul, as we see here in the ministry. We'll look at really uh, Timothy's life a little bit here today. How many, by a show of hands, you would agree that your friends can make your highs higher and your lows lower? Would you say that? Your friends can make your highs higher and your lows lower. I mean, there's been times in all of our lives where you've probably told somebody, hey, thank you for being there, because man, I was at the lowest, lowest place. And, and having you there, man, it just made it possible for me to get through it. It, it helped me. Or you know what? You go, hey, uh, you know, uh, you know, you have a, a celebration, whether it's a birthday party, you know, a anniversary, uh, you know, a uh, baby shower, or whatever the things might be. You know, you hear people all, hey, thanks for coming. You know, just having you here made this more, you know, special. You know, I mean, you just knowing that you came, especially when it's an event and somebody comes from far away, right? And you go, wow, the sacrifice that they made to what to be there. You know, that, that's really in becoming a better friend, you know, being there. And that's why I started the service with, you know, Hebrews chapter 10. 
being there because there's something about being there that's a lot better than even if someone was to to write or text or you know make a comment you know in, a, in an email or whatever that might be it is no comparison to being there in the in the in the flesh i mean i think if you're like me i love watching on social media i'll just lay in bed at night and i'm just going through all kinds of little video clips and i love the one the good news ones where it shows like the soldier coming home, he's home or she's home from the war and, and, and serving. They've been gone for almost a year and they've, whether it's a wife or a husband or a child and they're hiding, right? And they're talking to their, their, you know, their family member, you know, on the phone or something. And, you know, they're, yeah, I miss you. I miss you. And then you turn around and they're right there and you just see, I mean, I mean, did anybody ever cry when you read that? Just, you get this, you get the, what do they call it? A goiter? You ever get a goiter? I mean, men, we don't like to admit this, but you know, that you all of a sudden you get this knot in your throat, right? Because you're not going to cry, you know, but you're just there and you go, wow, and you're watching this. You go, but it's moving because there's something about when you, someone's not there and then they're there. And, and this is so much about, you know, what the apostle Paul is, when you read him in context here, is dealing with, you know, that friends are there. I mean, they, they, they're, you know, they say, you know, the old, like there was the old joke or saying like, you know, when, you know, when trouble's coming at you, you know, all your friends, you know, or all your, everybody's walking away, but your friends will always be what coming towards you. Right. Or they go, you know, uh, or there was an expression like, um, you know, if you, if your friends won't come visit you in prison, right because they'll be there with you, you know, type of thing, you know, and you kind of get, I'm not recommending that. I mean, I didn't, I'm not saying be a criminal, but, you know, I think you, you get the point though, that they're, they're going, Hey, we're, we're in this together. And, you know, I, I see my father-in-law that he loves Westerns, you know, and there's always in a good Western. I mean, you know, where guys are going, Hey, we might be going down, but we're going down together. Right, man. And they're, they're, they're guns drawn and they're back to back. And, you know, and then the end of the story, they go, uh, they don't make it, but they went out what together. And it, and it sends a signal, you know, to everybody else that, you know, it's, we see it biblically speaking, no greater love is any man than this, than a man would lay down his life for his friend. You know, that man, you go that far, it's, it's sacrificial. That's what I was saying earlier about, and aren't are we, I mean, if we're just be honest, how selfish we can be, you know, we go, yeah, we're going to have one service Sunday. Well, I'm not coming. Why? Because it's not at the time I go. Well, yeah, but do you realize it's not about you? It's about everybody. And we have two services and we actually we have three. We have people that come on Wednesday that aren't here on, on Sundays. We have some people that come on Sunday that aren't here on Wednesday. We have some people that go to first service, don't even know who's at second, second, don't, you know, so every once in a while, it's just nice to, you go, and we don't, it's not like we do it every week to you, you know, it's like this, you know, adults. It's like, you, I look out and it's like looking at my, my granddaughter, Quinny. <laughs> you know, it's like, Okay, sorry. You can get in the car. You know, it's just how it works. But uh, they really can lessen our sorrow and add to our joy. What would you think? I want you to think about these things you know, as we look at this. What would it be like if, if life couldn't be shared? Do you have any idea? I do. It's called COVID 19. I mean, seriously. I mean, the, the, the damage that COVID-19 has done to so many people's lives in the church. I'm not talking about just in the world, but I'm just talking about in the church that got isolated and, and got out of contact. I mean, I'm not talking about in our church. I'm talking about worldwide. Uh, I get a lot of periodicals, a lot of things that are sent to me, email. 
that, I mean, there's a new pandemic in the church and it's church attendance. It's the church coming together because we reprogram people that, hey, we don't need each other. You know, we, we don't need, you know, uh, you know, face to face. We can, we can meet thumb to thumb. You know, we're just doing this. And, and we're playing into that, you know, and we're calling, oh, it's good. And you go, like I said, I am so thankful for the technology, you know, that we have as a church. But I'm telling you, there's a, there is a downside, you know, and, and you have to be careful with that. And you can't just pander to that. There, there needs to be, hey, we're thankful that we can minister to people who have that need, whether it's for health or safety, whatever the reasons might be. But to the lazy that are just going, you know what, I just like the fact that I could eat my Captain Crunch and lay in bed. And, uh, you know, I can tune in, I can tune out, and I can tell everybody I went to church, you know, I was in church on Sunday. Or you guess what? I mean, the, you do this. And I had friends, you know, back in the 80s that lived, you know, in Bakersfield, and they would drive to L.A. every weekend. I mean, you had Chuck Swindoll, you had David Hawking, you had, you know, Pastor Chuck Smith. I mean, you had John MacArthur. You had, there was great Bible teachers, right? And, and they'd go every weekend. They were going to a different church. They didn't have a church. They just went. So it's like kind of like going, hey, I, this, this Sunday we're going. And I see it. They go, this Sunday we went to this church. This Sunday we on social media. We're at this church. This, uh, And you go, and what are we doing to build the body of Christ? You go, nothing. We're just consumers. And, and that's really what Paul is preaching against here as you look at this. And like I said, so I, I look at, you know, Scripture and I look for patterns. I look for examples. I look you know, for steps. How do I live this Christian life better than what I'm doing now? And they're there, you know, like I said, you know, all we have to do is study it. And so if I look at this this morning, we'll just run through these. If you're a note taker, I just encourage you to write them down. There, there's really six steps to becoming a better friend. You know, and you might, you know, there's kind of a warning on the front of this, because we can talk about friendship and, and right away you can you could have went like this, and some of you did. You went, they hurt me. It was they. It wasn't you, it was they. They're not a good friend. You know, they, 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 they. You know, and, and you go, man, I, I wish, I wish I could find a good friend. As you see, it's we're we're consumers. That, that was your first thought. I, I wish I could find someone, you know, that would be there for me. But our prayer needs to be this morning. God help me to be a better friend. God help me to be, to be the kind of friend that others would want to have. That, that, that would be simply our prayer. And you might say, hey, I'm that way. I, I'm, I'm that person. And you go, great. Then just polish it today. Just praise God, you know, for it. I love that quote that goes like this. I went to church looking for a friend and found none. When I began going to church to be a friend, I made many. I'm not talking about acquaintances. I'm talking about friends, okay? There's a difference between an acquaintance and a friend. Yeah, we know, we know people, you know, but do we know people? Do we have, and the only way you're going to do that is what? You know, is breaking bread, is sitting with them. Not standing around. You can do that at church. I'm talking about sitting down. There's something different between standing and sitting and to sit. And for, for the, a Jew, and I remember when I first, you know, really started to, you know, look at Israel you know, with the help of, of Randy and Nita, uh, there was so much that we learned about what true communion is by understanding the heart of the Jewish people. 
that friendship is actually at a higher plane than love. We're called, like I tell you all the time, we're called to, to love everybody, right? The Bible says, love your enemies. And I mean, and, and help me with people like, that's right. I, I was on my wife's yesterday. We have all these things going on. I ended with three counseling appointments yesterday. So I've got like four hours of counseling in the midst of trying to get stuff done for, you know, these things. And so I'm talking to this one brother and we're talking about somebody who, you know, has offended them and done wrong to them. And I'm going, I get it. I go, and that's, we have that struggle. And I'm like, you, well, you know that you're called to love them. Yeah. And I go, but here's the freedom. You're not called to like them. And they're like, oh, praise God. You know, it's like, you go, and I get where you're coming from. You go, because we're called to love everybody, but friendship is something that's so sacred. Because remember, I shared this with you for a Jewish person to invite you into their home, that there was something about that. that. That meant I want a relationship with you. Because why? And you go, because a meal, to invite someone to share a meal in your home was so intimate. Because it's like most people that know me, I mean, I, I will do it, but I still play to that end. Mike Atkinson and I, we, we do this all the time. We're, we're making stuff in the coffee shop. We're trying recipes. And he made, I love watermelon. And he made this, this mint lemonade with watermelon in it. And you would think that, and I'm telling you what, it's better than anything we had. And I go, how did you make this? And he goes, oh, well, and he took a sip out of it. Then he goes to hand me the cup, thinking I wouldn't drink it because he knows I don't like drinking after other people, right? Because it's like, I don't, you know, but I, but I got broken to that years ago. I told you we went to Mexico and Jim Drake at Clean Did They Lose, who had a mustache that was, man, bigger than Kevin's. He's eating a vanilla ice cream cone and it's all over his, his mustache. And he looks at me and he goes, here, Mike, have a lick. And I'm like, no, no, no. And I'm saying, I get, I got queasy. I was like, my knees started to go. I'm going, Jim, I'll pass out. I, I, can't, I can't do this. And he's like forcing in my face. And, and I'm going, Jim, I, I, I can't do it. And I, and I didn't do it. I'm just like, I, I, I can't. And then ultimately he just sticks it in my face. Next thing I'm having, I'm like, I'm like, I'm meeting Jesus in this moment, you know? And after that, I, I really, I didn't care. I didn't care at all. And then when you have grandkids, you can't care, okay? I, I'm, I'm having my grandkids, they go, oh, I want to drink. Okay, so I give them a drink. And what do they do? They're slobbering. I watch it. It's, it's like backfilling into the thing. And you go, do I drink? Go, Heck yeah. You know, and you just chug it. But Mike did this to me thinking, oh, I won't drink it. I'm like, yeah, I'll, I'll drink it. Well, the Jewish people understood that because they just brought out one loaf of bread. I mean, you come in off the street, you didn't know, you didn't, they didn't have sinks back in that day. They didn't come in the house, hey, can I use your bathroom, clean up first? The guy's been out, you know, working with animals all day long. He's got sheep, cow dung all over his feet and everything else. They come in, it's like Audrey, our, our, our two-year-old, I sent to you, she smelled something, okay? She's like, I don't know if it was her or somebody else, but she smelled it. And they were teasing, they go, uh, they go, is it Opa? Is it Opa? That, that, that's my name for Grandpa. She, seriously, she walks around behind me. She goes, and they, they all start laughing, you know, and I'm going, oh my gosh, you know, this, what? no, I go, it wasn't Opa. I go, maybe it's her, maybe, it, maybe it's her, you know, it's like, and so she's out, she's going, I, I, I get that. Well, they're sitting at a table in a Jewish family and they're going, what are these guys doing? We don't know if the, where their hands have been. Hey, can you pass the bread, please? It'd be like me with Jim Drake. I'm about ready to pass out. And they're going, no, and they break the bread off, right? And then they take the cup. What do they do? Guy's got allergies. He's working out in springtime. What does he do? He goes like this. And then he takes the cup and drinks of it, right? Are you following that guy? He goes, so you want to know? I mean, seriously, do you get it? 
Do you know that's why you want to know who's coming into your house? Where have you been, right? We learned that with COVID, right? We're still learning. Do Hey, I don't want to be around them because I don't know where they've been. I don't know. Are they vaccinated? Are they not? Have they had it? You got a fever? We understand all those things. And yet, you know, here's Paul going, well, when it's a friend, I don't care. I don't care because it's not about me. I'm not trying to protect myself from you. Guess what? I'm preferring you over myself. And so we've had, you know, like I said, all these challenges. So I go to church looking for a friend, and I don't find any. But I go to church to be a friend, and I make many. So what was the first thing? Six steps. First thing. You can run through these real quick. Number one, be humble. That's how it started in chapter two. The best way to become a better friend is to be humble. Because what does God say himself about humility and pride? God does what to the proud? He resists the proud. Do you think people resist proud people? Absolutely. But they'll be drawn to when you're humble. So the key is be humble, be humble. Philippians 2, 5 through 8 says, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in the appearance as a man. He humbled himself. He said, don't live for yourself. Live for the benefit of other people. So who did Paul start with? He first pointed us to Jesus. Then he talks about himself and the model and the example. And then he, here, as we look today, he, he starts to mention two other guys, Timothy and, and Epaphroditus here. So you, you think about, you know, where did Paul, you know, meet Timothy? How did it all begin? You know, he was on his first missionary journey. You, you read the book of Acts there. He's going through what, you know, is modern day Turkey. He's going through Asia Minor there. He comes to a little, couple little towns, Lystra and Derby there. Most likely he met uh, Timothy uh, there in Lystra. Um, Timothy, you recall, he had a Jewish mom. He had an unbelieving father. And it was, like I said, Paul's first missionary trip. And on that, he leads Timothy to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. He shares Jesus with Timothy and Timothy gets saved. He doesn't take him with him. He leaves him there. So it's on his second missionary journey. So he's coming back through town and he hears about Timothy and they're going, hey, there's this young man, Timothy, reading the book of Acts again. And man, he has got a good reputation. He is something. So Paul is intrigued now. And so after a year, he invites Timothy to come along with him. And you go, well, he probably heard, and as we see, that Timothy was uh, extremely humble. The second thing, number two, that we see, verse 19, is he was reliable. He wasn't just humble, but he was reliable. It says, verse 19, he says, but I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. Why? Because he, he's go. I'm sending Timothy because I can count on Timothy. You know, you, th you think about that. Your friends, your, your true friends, you can count on your true friends. You know, Paul doesn't name a whole bunch of people. Just like I shared with you, Dr. Dobson said, man, if you got one person, studies, you know, American Sociological Review, if you got two people, it's not going to be a lot of people. And so you can't focus on what other people are doing. The key is we need to focus on what am I doing? You, you focus on you, I focus on me. And you go, guess what? That's is what, what's going to change everything. I, I love the, uh, you know, how many have Facebook here? Just by a show of hands, you use Facebook at all? Yeah. Well, Facebook, this is Proverbs 17, 17 in the Facebook version, okay? 
if you read their, their, their website. A friend is someone you may or may not know well who accepts your friend request on Facebook. This person is, is born to like and to comment on your post to make you feel good about yourself. That is Proverbs 17, 17 in the Facebook version, you could say. And, and yet Paul, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't talking about Facebook, you know, friends. He's talking about friends that you truly can count on. You know, people all the time, they go, I have 700 friends on Facebook. And then they go, and I'm miserable. And you go, wait, you got all these friends. And they go, well, they're not real friends. You know, they're just people who like me, you know, on Facebook. But there's no relationship there. So when life comes at you and it's hard, where are they? You know, all you have to do is watch when something happens in somebody's life on Facebook. You were liked one day and then you're unliked, you know, you're friended one day and unfriended the next day. And it's interesting, you know, that they use the word friend. It's real important, you know, that we get that, you know, in, in, our, in our society, in our culture. And so, you know, you think about how did Timothy prove that he was reliable? So you're not just listening to Pastor Mike say that. Where did Paul send Timothy? You go, man, he, he sent him at times on, on journeys that were near a thousand miles away from where he was. I mean, and you realize, you know, they didn't have airplanes back in the day. Weren't even probably riding horses. That's, that's walking on foot from place to place to place to place. And you go, what would motivate, what would drive someone to do that? And you go, love, love. Kind of the proof's in the pudding. We go, you know, we, we think about it. You know, oh, man, I'd have to drive all the way across town. <sighs> you imagine walking for 800 to 1,000 miles. I mean, you know, Paul would send Timothy, you know, as you study the word from Athens to Ephesus, you know, we could see from Corinth to Thessalonica to Macedonia to Rome to Philippi. I mean, I mean, you just look at the map, go to your maps and just look at Paul's missionary journeys and how far, you know, they would travel. And, and Paul's going, there's nobody that has my heart. And why? Why couldn't Paul send someone else? What does scripture say? Because they became entangled in the cares of this world. You think about your reliability. If you're so entangled in the things of this world, you're probably not going to be very reliable to the kingdom of heaven. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, they will, they will take you out. You know, one of the things, you know, Pastor Chuck Smith used to say, you know, about people who are raised up, you know, in ministry is, you know, I'm living proof of it. They're not the sharpest pencil in the drawer. He said, oftentimes the person that God raises up is the person who's available. Because sometimes, you know, again, you're there and you go, I remember if you read any of the stories about, you know, like uh, Greg Laurie and Skip Heitzik and some of the, you know, the, the guys that were part of the early days of, of Calvary Chapel, I mean, they, they would be just hanging out at the church and, and, and when things would come up and Chuck couldn't do it, I mean, he was like, what do we do? We got, you know, all these needs and all these people that need to be ministered to. And, and, uh, you know, they're just sitting there and they, you go over there. And they're like, you want me to go? I don't, I don't feel, I don't feel, you know, like I'm equipped to go. Well, you'll get equipped as you go, you know, pray and let the Lord fill your mouth with the things, you know, that you need to say. You've been here for a year now, you've been in Bible studies every week, you know, it's time to get in the game, you know, type of thing. And it just scares people to death. And you go, but, and then people go, why, why did God raise them up? And they go, they were here. <laughs> I mean, we can't raise you up if you're not here, you know, 
And it's just simple things you know, that we, we can so take for granted. Number three is you make yourself, or you could say be invaluable. Verse 20 through 22 there, be invaluable. You know, because if you're humble and you're reliable, guess what's going to happen? You'll become invaluable. And I want to give you a definition of that as we read this. He says, Paul says, for I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. He says, for all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus, but you know his proven character that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. Now here's, here's the definition, invaluable in the original, the current meaning means valuable beyond estimation. I love that. Valuable beyond estimation. Not just that they're valuable, that, uh, you know, a value can be determined, invaluable, that you can't even determine. They are, they mean so much to you. And you know, when you're motivated in love, don't we say that? And people go, man, I, I can't tell you. We say it like this, right? I can't tell you how much you mean to me. That, that's what you're saying. You go, your, your worth to me is invaluable. And, and, and I hope that someone has told you that in your life. And, and if they haven't, you know, God would, <laughs> he would tell you that you are invaluable to him. You, there, there's nobody like you. He made you as you are. You're an original, okay? Don't die a copy of somebody else. But you're invaluable to the king. Nobody can do what God has called you to do the way that you can do it. That's what makes us unique. That's what Timothy was. He was invaluable to the apostle Paul. He calls him. He, was he his physical son? Was he his biological son? You go, no. But that's the, that's the love that he has for him. He goes, he's like, He's like my son. You know, we, he, we are so close. He has my mind. It's like, you know, we share the same DNA. And in the truest sense as believers, do we? Yes. To be born in the, the flesh is one thing, but be born in the spirit's another thing altogether. You know, Paul wants to go to Philippi and he tells the church, hey, that's my heart's desire. And if it works out, I'm going to come. But if I can't, he goes, I'm going to send someone who's just like me. He goes, matter of fact, if Timothy shows up there, it's just as if I have come there myself. Can you say that about somebody in your life? If you sent that person, you go, if they come for me, it's just like I went myself. That's what exactly what Paul is saying here. You know, Jesus gives, you know, two parables that talks about, you know, serving humbly and about reliability and about value. You can read them for yourself. You know, in Matthew 24, it's the parable of the two servants, right? He says, you know, blessed is that servant who is master when he comes will find him doing. He says, I say that he will make him ruler over all of his goods. You know, that person who becomes invaluable, person who's reliable, who's there. And, and again, then in, in, you know, Matthew 25, we call it the parable of the talents. And he's not talking about, you're like, you're, are you a good singer? Are you a good cooker? You know, baker, candlestick maker, whatever, you know, you are. You go, no, he's talking about money. You know, that God's given some people the ability, you know, to handle money well. Some, you know, he's given one talent, two talents, another, you know. But he's talking about money. And Jesus says to them, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. And then he says something interesting. He says, enter into the joy of the Lord. And a lot of people go, oh, that's heaven. You go, no, it's not. He's not talking about heaven there. He's talking about a greater fruitfulness. Again, and if you, you really think this through, you know, and what he's talking about is that our faithfulness leads to our fruitfulness. Your faithfulness leads to your 
fruit. If you are faithful, you will be fruitful. If you're not faithful, you won't be fruitful. Bottom line. That's what he's making clear here. The joy of the Lord, you know, is that when you're a faithful servant, guess what? You get to do more because you're what? You're available to the Lord. You'll experience more joy in your life, just like the Apostle Paul, because you are not just humble, you know, you aren't just, you know, reliable, you're not just invaluable. And, you know, what, what is, is God doing in your life in such a profound way? He just continues, you know, to reveal himself, you know, in and through you. And, and again, your life to the kingdom of heaven becomes, like I said, it's, it's priceless. In that you, can, you cannot put a price tag, you know, on it. So you think about this, being humble makes you reliable and it makes you invaluable. Number four, it makes you compatible. Those things just continue. You know, what's the process of marriage? It says the two shall what? The two shall what? What's the word? Become one. But it says they shall become. Are you, are you literally one the day that you get married? And you go, no, you're still as different as night and day. It takes years and years of coming together, right? It's a process. Sanctification is a process. Justification happened, you know, in the sense you could say as soon as the marriage took place. But the process of transformation, sanctification, happens day by day, moment by moment, you know, week by week, year by year. And so, again, is everybody compatible? No. I was sharing that with the brother yesterday, you know. Are we called to love everybody in the church? Yes. Are we called to like everybody in the church? You go, no. No, I mean, it doesn't mean that you're, you're rude to them, but you go, but, you know, it's like I said, I hope my heel never meets my eye, okay? If my heel ever meets my eye, uh, I, I'm in a world of hurt, okay? But I'm thankful I have a heel, and I'm thankful that I have an eye. But they're not the best of friends, okay? I mean, I put my foot in my mouth many times, you know, and it doesn't taste good. And so I, I get that. But I don't want them to be friends. I don't want to ever get comfortable with that. My grandkids, um, you know, when they're newborn, man, they take their foot. And what do they do? I mean, they, it's amazing you know, what they can do. They can put their foot in their mouth. They can put it around their head, you know. You go, but we are connected. But we don't have to necessarily be directly connected there. But we definitely, you know, with Paul and Timothy, we know that they were compatible. He says this in verse 20, he says, for I know, have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. I, I can't even pronounce the word in the Greek in the, in the truest sense. I can say it really fast and it sounds Greek. It's isospecusis is what, if you, if you Google it and then go listen to it, isopecusis. It means properly of equal soul, having similar identity or values because like-minded, and then it says equality, similarly motivated. And again, it's the only time, this is what's so fascinating to me, it's the only time that this is used in the New Testament, is Paul saying, there, there's only one person that's like-minded, like me, that's, that's has, basically he's going, has, has one soul, and that's Timothy. And that's pretty profound, you know, when you think about that. Because you can go, I think it's in Romans 16, Paul lists like 27 people, you know, that were friends in the ministry, but, you know, but there's only one person that he says is of one soul that has one heart that beats like his. Kind of reminds me of uh, in 1 Samuel 18, the story of, of Jonathan and David, right? As, as David was sharing before Saul and, and, and his son, Saul's son, Jonathan, was hearing David talk about, you know, 
uh, his heart for God and for the nation of Israel and no fear and going against Goliath, you know, and all these things. And it says, and the heart of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David and he loved him uh, as his own from that day forward. And what a beautiful relationship. And Paul's going, you know, that, that's Timothy. Timothy has my heart like that. He was compatible. And so, you know, we, we make ourselves compatible. That's one of the things. That's the beauty of, be, it starts with being humble. You can, you can become compatible with people by being humble. Doing exactly follow Philippians chapter 2 and humbling yourself before God, before them. C.S. Lewis said this, he said, true friends don't spend time gazing into each other's eyes. They may show great tenderness towards each other, but they face in the same direction toward common projects and goals and above all towards a common Lord. Yeah, that's, that's so, so profound. And number five, be sincere. Don't just be compatible, be sincere. That's what he's saying, you know, about Timothy in verse 21. He says, for all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ. What's he saying? And this this is a sad thing. This this is a sad point here. When he talks about being sincere, the word sincere, we think about being a hypocrite is is the lack of sincerity. It's it's being fake, right? Being something that you're not. And, and, And Timothy, Paul is saying, is that he's sincere. There is no hypocrisy in him. He genuinely loves you and cares for you. He says, in the same way that I care for you. And but but he puts it in a negative light. He's saying, because there's nobody else like me. What's he saying? He goes, everybody else is selfish. Everybody else, when you call them, you know what their first thought is? Oh man, what's this going to cost me? Oh man, what's in it for me? I'm too busy. I don't want to. I, 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 you know, me, 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 me. You know, there's no I in team, right? You know, to be part of Paul's missionary, you know, team, you, you couldn't, it couldn't start with I. You know, and you think of so many of us who, who've been in the Lord for years and years and years, and we've come up and we've made these excuses in our life to cover for our selfishness, that we just live for ourselves. You have your, if you just went and looked at your life, I could tell you how you could say today, if you're walking in the spirit, you're walking in the flesh. If you can go back, just take the last month of your life and you look at your routine, and if it's basically the same thing every day, I can tell you that is a legalistic, lifestyle. That is not a lifestyle that's being led of the Holy Spirit. Because when God is leading you, he's going to lead you. Guess what? It's like Jesus told Peter. He said, Peter, men are going to come along and they're going to lead you to places what? You don't want to go. (laughs) And they're going to take you by the hand. He goes, but I'm going to show you the death that you will die that will glorify me. As Paul would say, my life is not my own. And I know that because I, I struggle through that in my own self. I'm not pointing a finger at anybody else, but I'm going to challenge you with the same thing that the Holy Spirit challenges me with, is that you, you want to be a better friend? Then quit living life for yourself and your own little bubble, your own little circle. It, it, you know, I mean, the most miserable people whose their constant thought process is me, 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 why me, 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 instead of, you know, God, what about you? Why, why not? Why not me? Why? Why? And again... Paul's not talking about the world here. He's talking about the church. There's none, he says, like me. Timothy, though, he genuinely cares about you. And the last one, number six, we close with this, is loyalty. Oh, we love loyalty, right? I mean, we might demand loyalty. But then you have to ask yourself, you go, am I loyal? Look at verse 22 there. He says, 
but you know his proven character that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. What's he saying? Go, man, he's loyal. He's loyal to me like a father is to his son, like an heir is to the throne in that respect. That word, like I said, in the Greek language, it means to prove something or to make something known as valuable after it has gone through a testing. After it's gone through a testing. See, be reminded of this. Paul led Timothy to the Lord on his first missionary journey. He didn't invite him to join him on his missionary journey until the second time through. It was over a year later when he came back through the region. And there's a good reason for that because it gives an opportunity for growth. Jesus tells, you know, the parable of the sower, right? What happens to the seed? Sometimes when the seed is planted, what happens? Well, the devil comes along and does what? He snatches it before it can even hit the ground. But many times, and especially in the body of Christ, it rises up so fast. But then when what? When the sun comes out and it is tested by heat, what does it do? It, it just withers and falls away. I remember, you know, Pastor Chuck telling us this one time at a pastor's conference. And it was really kind of interesting that he, how he said this. He goes, you know, when someone approaches me and says, you know, Pastor Chuck, God has called me to go onto the mission field. He said, I never, I never disagree with him. I never argue. He goes, I might think that. He goes, but I don't tell them that. He goes, I just say, hey, let me pray for you. And, you know, if God's called you to go, then what? You can't stay. And if he's called you to stay, guess what? You can't go. And he goes, so I pray with them. And they go, oh, but I need, I need funding, Pastor Chuck. And how many remember Pastor Chuck's laugh? You know, he's, <laughs> you know, he's got this, oh, he and John Corson have one of the, the sweetest, you know, just joyful laughs. And he goes, you know, I've learned over the years, and I'll paraphrase this, because I basically learned over the years, 99% of the people that have a zeal to go onto the mission field don't make it a year. They're back because it wasn't really the Lord. It was just zeal. He goes, and so what he did is he goes, I came up with my own little formula. He goes, you make it a year, come back and see me. And, and I can only tell you this from, from many, 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 many mistakes, you know, on my part, the part of the leadership of our church of just people coming and go, and you go, okay, well, you know, we want to help you because you want to help people, right? They're not there for a year because God never called them there. And then if you don't help them, you know, then they get mad at you. And that's the risk that you run. You go, but, you know, again, do people trust you enough to tell them the truth? You know, it's like God hasn't called you, you know, to that. But there's, there's a loyalty here, you know, that here Paul is allowing the testing. He's allowing, you know, Timothy to go through the trials and the tribulations of walking with God. Remember, you know, persecution was extremely high. People were dying for the faith, right? So, you know, he's allowing that testing. And I, I've always been interested in this, you know, in James. James talks a lot about faith and works, right? That's why a lot of people reject you know, the book of, of, of James, because they just can't, you know, no, you know, it's not works and, and faith. It's just faith. But James says this, he says in, in James chapter one, verse two and four, he goes, my brethren, count it all joy. Remember, and that's really the theme of, of, of really what Paul is dealing with here in the book of Philippians is joy-filled living. He says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. 
but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete and lacking nothing. And so you think about what was Paul doing in Timothy's life? He was helping him become loyal. He was allowing God to to test you. Maybe you're going through a trial today. Maybe you're going through a testing in your life. I can tell you this, God is allowing that to test your loyalty. Will you still remain loyal to him? You can go back and study the, the life of Job. Does Job worship you, know, you for nothing? It's only what he gets you know, back in return. God's going skin for skin. It says in all this, Job, he did what? He was loyal. He remained loyal to God. And so we're going to go through hurts and heartaches in this life. And it's so easy, and especially with regard to friendship, when things happen and then you go, man, we are so quick to unfriend, you know, like I said, defriend or whatever the circumstance or situation might be. But just know this, you know, Jesus said, no longer do I call you slaves, but I call you friends. And you go, why? You go, because he chose us. And he said, you love me because I first loved you. And that we wouldn't focus on, you know, of all the things today as we, as we close in prayer, is that you wouldn't focus on what is everybody else doing? You know, what kind of friend is everybody else? Is that, like I said, we'd leave and go, God, what kind of friend am I? How can I be a better friend? Because like I said, Paul had many acquaintances, many people that he was very thankful for. But he said, but there was only one, one who shared the same heart and the same soul that he had. And so for all of us, we need to grow. We need to learn how to cultivate those relationships in life. And the Lord help us. Because why? <laughs> because we live in a world that is getting increasingly darker. And, and ministry needs to take place like, like never before for such a time as this. And yet none of us can do it by ourselves. The, the needs are overwhelming. And that's why we're seeing the world systems collapse. But God's word will never collapse. Heaven and earth, he said, will fade away, but my word will never, ever fade away. Stand on the word. Ask God to help you be that kind of friend, that we would be that kind of church. So when the needs do come up, that we can be faithful, we can do this humbly, and we, we can be reliable. Like I said, we make ourselves invaluable and watch what God does in making us loyal to him and to one another. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word, and thank you for this book that is challenging to us in so many ways, because Lord, it it brings to light, um, God, our deficiencies. That's why the Apostle Paul would remind us uh, to not have our own mind. We live in a world where everybody wants to give us a piece of their mind. And yet the Apostle Paul is reminding us, have this same mind in you that was in Christ. And Lord, forgive us for having our own heart and our own mind. We're not here to make history, Lord. We're here to proclaim history, your history. And so Lord, help us this week. Help us to live humbly, help us to live sacrificially. Uh, Lord, help us to live compatibly. Help us to, to seek, as your word says, as much as it's possible with us to be at peace with all men, Lord. We love you. We need you so desperately. Our world needs you. And so, Lord, we ask you, fill us this day with your spirit, that as we go out into this world, we don't go in our own power, our own strength, but we go in yours as we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Church, I'll invite you to stand.